with the definition of greed. Let's look at what that is. Greed is an inordinate desire to possess or acquire more than one's own needs. Now, I've been in ministry a long time, and uh, I have counseled people through lots and lots of crises, marital crises, financial issues, uh, substance abuse issues. We have helped people in a lot of different ways, counseled people in a lot of different ways. But you know, as I thought about this message, I thought there's something that I, I've never had before. I've never had a person come up to me and say, Pastor, I need counseling. I need prayer. I need help. I am so greedy. <laughs> I've never had a person say that. And isn't that interesting? So either that means greed is not a problem anywhere at all, or it's so pervasive that we don't even really discern that about ourselves. All right? And so with that in mind, this idea that greed is, I've just, I've never seen someone, I just repent, I just love money so much. I've never seen that. And so, with that in mind, I want to start unpacking some, some teachings of Jesus. How many of you know that's a good career move for a pastor to read the Bible? Yeah. Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. Jesus is sending his disciples out to wage war on behalf of the kingdom of heaven against the kingdom of this world. You guys do know that's the battle we face, right? There are two kingdoms at war with each other. And it says this, as you go, proclaim this message. So Jesus is telling them what to say. Say that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Everywhere Jesus went, he would walk into an earthly kingdom and he would uh, uh, spark, trigger faith in people to understand that there was a better kingdom that was as close as the faith that they had. A kingdom that brought health and healing and life and freedom and community and connection. All these awesome things. Provision. And so he tells his disciples, preach that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then verse 8, he says, now basically now start to act like it. Heal the sick. How many of you know healing, supernatural healing comes when the kingdom of God shows up in a place. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy. I want to just unpack this idea for a quick moment. What's the difference between cleansing people with leprosy and healing the sick? Why why both of those statements? And you have to understand there is a special, unique meaning and context for the cleansing of a leper. That's different than just having a miracle of healing. In fact, leprosy was uh, known as a contagious disease. And so when someone had leprosy, they literally by law had to shout, I am unclean, like stay back from me, right? So that sickness in particular brought tremendous isolation from community. And when that leper claimed to be supernaturally healed, you can read this in Leviticus. How many of you guys love to read Leviticus every day? Yeah. And anyway, I just thought it'd be funny, but apparently it wasn't. So, um, but in Leviticus, there's actually a law when a person claims to be supernaturally healed that a priest inside the camp, inside the city, has to be willing, I think moved by compassion, to risk his life... And step across the line of separation. Come on, this will preach. Across the the pure priest, the healthy priest, the clean priest walks across the line of separation and touches the leper to prove to the community that he's putting his purity and his reputation on the line to vouch for this guy. And to bring him into the community. This is the reason it was so important when Jesus was approached by the leper who said, if you're willing, will you make me clean? Then Jesus did two things. He did not just say, I'm willing and heal him. He actually, what did he do, guys? He reached out 
and he touched him because the leper did not just need to be healed, he needed to be reconnected with community. My point is, Jesus is saying, preach the kingdom. There's a better kingdom. It's as close as your faith. And when that kingdom has come, there's a new power system. And that power system drives out sickness. That power system from heaven breathes life into dead things. That kingdom reconnects people that are isolated and alone into community. It says drive out demons. That kingdom brings freedom. And then it says, Jesus' words, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. Think about that. He's saying, hey, all the things you're going to preach, you have to remember that first you received it. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't pay for it. This is a fun fact. I didn't share this in the last message, but I like you guys better. Um, There's only one time that a person asked to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in the Bible when they were rejected. They were told, no, you, you, you can't do this. And that's because someone tried to pay money for that gift. It was Simon. And he said, hey, I'm going to give you some money so I can get this power. And they said, that is not how the kingdom works. That is a world system. That is a selfish system. You're going to pay for this so that you can sell it. And that is not how the kingdom of God works. Freely you receive, freely give. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven spreads and grows through generosity. You guys see that? He says, hey, you're going to do all these things. You're going to preach the kingdom. You're going to do all these things, but do it freely. Why? Because you received it freely. See, when you receive it from heaven, that's a different, whole different mindset than if you think you earned it or that it's yours. I don't know if you know this, but this is good preaching. Man, this is really good. Okay. Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, watch out. So we're talking about these warring kingdoms against each other. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? Because if generosity spreads the kingdom, greed actually blocks the the growth and the contagious nature of the joy of the kingdom. Remember Jesus says the the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And when you give it away freely, it grows. But when you hang on to everything because you're kind of, it's like all about me, then you miss so many opportunities to spread the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, hey, no one can serve two masters. In other words, you're going to be, you're going to be building one kingdom or the other, but you can't build both kingdoms at the same time. You'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, everybody look at me. I know you don't know me. I'm not saying that you can't be rich and go to heaven. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you cannot think in your mind that you're living for God when really you're living to to build wealth. When you're living to get more. That's the motivation of your life. Don't lie to yourself and say you're sold out to God. That's really good preaching. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's so good. Thank you. And the kingdoms are real simple. Which kingdom are you building? There are two. There's a kingdom that says, this is mine. I'm the star of my own movie. I'm the point. And there's another kingdom that's a much bigger story. I'm not the star of the movie. I just get to be an extra. But it's a great story. It's an epic story. And God is the writer. God's the producer. God's the director. And I'm just honored to be in. The kingdoms are mine, my own kingdom. Or God's kingdom. Yes? Here's my point. 
Everything I said leads up to this moment. Please hear this. Every good and perfect thing comes from God. But when God gives us something, all he asks, it's just one thing, is that we give some of it away. This generalizes to every area of scripture, every part of the kingdom of God. When God gives us something, all he asks is that we don't just hang on to it for ourselves because we're not the point. I think I'll just wait and see what happens right now. Okay. And it's not just money. It's not just time. This generalizes. Take a look at this. Love is this way. The Bible says that we love because God first loved us. Right? So, so God is love. It originates with God. But the Bible says, 1 John 4, 21, if someone says, I love God, but they withhold love from their brother, they hate their brother, then they're a liar. For he who does not love his brother, for, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Time and time again in Scripture, God connects the quality of our love for God with the quality of our love for people. Hey, hey, Master, what is the greatest commandment? Well, I cannot give you one. I have to give you two. Remember this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus says, not me. Jesus says, and there's another one like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You receive love from heaven. Now you got to spend it on other people. If you're like, no, me and Jesus, we are tight. Yes, but are you a jerk to other people? You can, be, you can feel real tight with God, but if you're not letting that flow, if you're not spending some of that love that God's poured in your life, you're missing the whole point. And the Bible says you're a liar if you say that you love God, but you hate people around you. Forgiveness is the same way. Matthew, how many of you know that God is the originator of mercy? He's the originator of forgiveness. So he gives us Mercy first. Matthew 6. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I can, I can show you this a hundred different ways. There's a, a parable where Jesus talks about this story of a very wealthy man who forgave a massive debt for a man who owed him so much. So this, so this man has just been set free of this huge debt. He's been forgiven and he walks out of debtor's prison and he sees a guy who owed him just a few cents. He owed millions of dollars and he got it forgiven. And then he sees his, his neighbor and that guy owes him just a few cents and he white knuckled that debt. He didn't let it go. In other words, you got to see the theme, right? God's like, I'm giving this to you freely. So now you got to give it away. So he gets this debt forgiveness and God, and the master is saying, all I expect is that you pass it along to the people in your community. And this guy receives this great mercy, and then he goes and he white knuckles the debt that this other guy owes him just a few cents. And the master, this is Jesus' own imaginary story, a parable he made up. The master re-kind of initiated the big debt and threw him back in prison. How many of you are starting to get the point from Scripture that when God gives us something, what he asks of us is that we give some of it away? Generosity is the same way. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God is saying, I want to bless you with so much like goodness that you have extra capacity not to live for it, not to hoard it, but to give it away. Amen. 
Whenever you think you're the point of your own movie, the star of your own movie, the point of your own story, and other people start to get ahead and you don't, it builds up comparison and envy and frustration, right? It's like, well, that's not right. I thought I was the point. I thought I'm the hero of this story. This person's doing better than I am. But when you're an extra in God's story, and you're just honored to be part of it, and you see somebody else get advancement and promotion and favor and accolades, it's like, that's so inspiring. The same God who's given me promises that he'll be faithful is showing himself to be faithful to that guy. I am fired up. Right? So whenever you and I start to recognize there are these two kingdoms, and you and I really do decide with, with our time, our resources, everything that we have, are we going to spend our time building brick by brick the kingdom of me, or are we going to build brick by brick the kingdom of God? I should be preaching on, on my notes, but I have to stop and just tell you, that was some good worship. And I knew it was going to be good. Because a lot of times, worship leaders, they warm up weird. <laughs> they do this stuff. Me, 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 me. They like do that. Not your worship leader. Devon was doing this. <laughs> I was like, I know it's going to be on today. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to focus. <laughs> I just thought that was amazing. That was so good. All right. <laughs> Students, all right, pay attention. I'm sorry. That's my fault. I'm a little ADD. All right. A single act of generosity strikes a blow to the kingdom of this world. Okay? So whenever you practice generosity, it's like you take a brick from the kingdom that's called me. And you build a brick in the kingdom of God. But here's what I know about a single act of anything. So when I ran this uh, Friday on my birthday, I'd never run that far. I'd run 10 miles before. So this is 3 miles further. And guys, my feet hurt. Okay? I'm corn fed. (laughs) My feet hurt. All right? And I thought, ow! But you know what? If I keep doing it, it won't hurt anymore. Some of you, at the end of this, like, time together, you're going to think, I need to tithe. I need to give. I need to be more generous. And you're going to practice it once. And your spiritual feet are going to hurt. Ow! It's like there's a connection between your heart and your wallet. And you pull it out. Oh, ow. And I want you to know it's not about the single act. It starts with a single act. But really what we're doing is we're wanting to build a culture. Repeated generosity over time. A discipline creates a culture of generosity. My family has a culture of generosity. I was at, I was at my house uh, two weeks ago. And my 13-year-old. He said, Dad, I need some money. I'm hanging out with some friends. I need to buy some stuff. I said, well, I went into your bedroom yesterday and you had a $100 bill in your dresser. I don't know where he got that $100 bill. All right, but he got a $100 bill. I was like, you have $100 on your dresser. And he said, yeah, but Dad, that's, that's for the church. I'm giving that to God this weekend. I was like, here is my wallet. Here's my keys. Here's everything I have ever owned in my life. Please take it all. I mean, come on, this kid has a lot of money to a 13-year-old kid and he's giving it to the house of God. We have a culture of generosity in our house. My point is, don't just give once, but get into a flow and a discipline of generosity. Because what happens when you build a culture of generosity, a culture of generosity is hostile territory for the enemy of our souls. So I want to give you a couple of ideas. One is just a really good discipline to kind of work the greed out of your soul. 
And another one is an encouragement of the power of what generosity can mean in your life. Not just for money, but for many things. But I want to talk about money right now. And just so you know, so I'm about to talk about tithing. I don't work on commission here. <laughs> Pastor didn't ask me to talk about this, but I'm trying to help you. So the idea of generosity building up a kingdom that's friendly to the kingdom of heaven and tearing down the kingdom of darkness, think about that with this verse of scripture. Malachi 3, verses 10 and 11. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Tithe means tenth. There's no other way to translate that. Bring a tenth to the storehouse. That means the house of God. That there may be food in my house. So when the well pays the medical bills for somebody who's vulnerable and they need help, that money didn't fall out of heaven. That came from the people. People who who have practiced repeated generosity and tithing. Whenever you guys build houses in Mexico, when you do the things that you do, money doesn't just like pop out of the ground or fall out of the sky. The miracle happens in the hearts of people. It says, so that there may be food in my house, provision. Test me now. Try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. Now check this out. Think about all we've been saying. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. He's saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is going to open up over your life when you do this. And there's going to be such a flow of blessings that you're going to have to give more stuff away. Is that what it says? And it goes on, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. So this becomes hostile territory to the kingdom of darkness. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Whenever you and I put God in that first position and we realize it's not my kingdom, it's God's kingdom. Everything I have is a a good and perfect gift from heaven. And I'm so honored to be able to to give God... (coughs) something back it actually opens up heaven over your life and it drives back the enemy that's good stuff guys my point is I want the devourer to be rebuked from your life and I want the heavens to open up over your life that's why I would talk about this as an illustration just talking about the power of generosity I'm from Louisiana originally, and we like to eat. We like to deep fry stuff, by the way. <laughs> Everything. You go to like a buffet in Louisiana, everything's brown and golden bubbly. It's so good. Anyway, I fry my hands before I chew my fingernails. I mean, I eat everything fried. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, deep fried cigarettes. That's not right. But, um, okay, so I have this friend in Bastrop, Louisiana. He used food as an example for generosity. He said, when the kingdom is yours... This is how we often practice giving. We start with the, you know, I got to pay my taxes, right? It's like, Pastor, are you talking about tithing on the gross or tithing on the net? (laughs) Depends on if you want a gross blessing or a net blessing, all right? (laughs) So I got to pay my taxes first, you know, and then I'll think about God later. Then I got to pay my bills, keep my lights on, right? It's important. It's my kingdom, you're right? I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of the point. I want to make sure. And then I got health insurance. Oh, that's actually, that's a bigger piece, man. Health insurance. <laughs> so expensive. Got to pay for that health insurance. And guys, I got four kids. They're so expensive. Oh my goodness. By the way, you need to pray your children leave your house quick. Because every time a kid leaves home, you get a pay raise. I don't know how to explain it. It's awesome. <laughs> kids. And then it's like, I know my truck is paid for, but that's a nice truck. It's got a Hemi. 
<laughs> you know what? I work hard. I deserve it. And then we come to church and you hear a message about generosity. Like, I think I'll give to God. You're welcome. Then this same friend of mine from Bastrop, Louisiana, you never heard of it. He said, but when you make God first, you live under that banner of the kingdom of God. What you do is you give something to him first. Make him first place, you give it first. It's not my kingdom. Give it to God. He said, then, what's amazing is, the rest of your stuff both begins and ends with God. It's marked. It changes the point. It changes the fundamental ownership. Does that make sense? One more story I want to share. I, I really didn't come here to talk about money. I just know that Well, if the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, and we're talking about greed, that's probably something we need to address, right? That's why I talked about that. But this actually generalizes to every part of life. Everything God gives us, it's revolutionary when we start to find ways to give it away. Here's a story. I preached on forgiveness a couple years ago, and I was passionate. I was excited. I was in my church, you know, and I was being loud like I knew what I was talking about. And I said, there is no such thing as an unforgivable person. You can forgive anybody. And I was kind of, some of these same ideas, because I really believe this, I try to live this. You don't forgive people because they deserve it. You didn't deserve it when God forgave you. So instead of waiting for people to deserve it, why don't you just look for places to spend the grace that God gave you? It becomes like an opportunity, right? So I'm talking about this, and, and then after church, I was in this foyer area, we call it our living room. And this guy named Sean walks up to me. He says, uh, he shakes my hand. I have a question. He didn't look very happy. And I said, what is it, Sean? He said, I have a question. Do you really believe what you just preached? Which is the scariest question you can ever ask a pastor. It's like, no, I'm a poser. You know, it's like, <laughs> I said, of course, I believe every word. He said, you believe that you can forgive anybody? I said, yeah. See, I thought he was angry at the idea of forgiveness. But really, it was something completely, I wasn't ready for it. He said, but what if I don't know their names? And what if I've never seen their faces? I said, Sean, I don't understand. And Sean told me a story that when he was seven, eight, and nine years old, he had been trafficked. He'd been blindfolded abused and filmed over and over and over and he didn't know their names and he had not seen their faces how do I forgive them I said Sean it's okay God knows their names just keep coming back to church and week after week after week I noticed Sean started all the way in the back Nobody turn around right now. It's awkward for them. It's like, I'm doing real good to be in the room. Please don't point me out. And he was very stoic in worship. But every week, he moved up a couple rows, and he got a little bit more free. 
in the worship. Maybe he started stretching before worship. <laughs> about three months into his time at our church, Sean was on the front row right about this area and dancing like a wild man. Like, have you ever seen somebody that loves to dance but they're terrible at it? <laughs> It, it was it was violent, hideous, beautiful, glorious, ugly. It was everything. And I turned to my uh, associate pastor. His name is Mike. I said, "What's the deal with Sean, man? This guy was like all locked up, and now he's so free." He said, "Oh, there's a story. It's amazing." And here's the story: disconnected from Sean. Let's, it's another story. He said someone had been under house arrest. They were uh, arrested for possession of child pornography under house arrest. So they had been isolated because they had made terrible choices. And they were alone. And so this person under house arrest, not Sean, someone else, called the church, our church, and said, I hear that your church loves people. Is there anyone in your church who would be willing to come visit me? I am so alone. Let me just ask you, what happens in your heart when you hear that? Do you think, yeah, there's no way I'd go? That request went to my associate pastor, and he went to his men's meeting. And in that men's meeting, he said, there's a guy. He's asking for a a visitation. And this is what he's done. Is there anyone here willing to visit this man? And guess who raised his hand? Sean said, I'll do it. He finally had a place, a face, and a name. And he went to that guy's house week after week after week, and he said, look, what you're into is destructive. It's hurtful. And he told him his story, how he got hurt as a child with the same sin. And he said, but that is not the end of my story, and it doesn't have to be the end of yours either. Here's my point. Here's my point. I don't know what happened to the guy who was under house arrest. I just know that Sean's life was transformed. Please don't miss this. He had already received grace from heaven. But it wasn't until he found a place to spend the grace that God had given him that his life began to just be revolutionized and the kingdom of God began to spread in him and through him. And today, Sean, his last name is Wheeler, he speaks all over the country. Here's a picture of him preaching at Christ for the Nations. And he goes all over the state of Colorado ministering to people that have been convicted of child sex offenses, preaching a grace that is more powerful than their sin. He's doing war on behalf of heaven because he's got, he's got enough grace to go around. He's not hanging on to it with greed. He freely received, and now Sean is freely giving, and that's my prayer for you. That every good and perfect gift that you have from heaven, that you'll give it away. Amen? Amen. Hope this has been an encouraging word for you guys. Yeah.